uh, I'd like to introduce Peter Le Cornu, who was the manager. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and for the Australian Flexible Learning Framework, I do know that because um, uh, I was a flexible learning leader and Peter, Peter was in charge. But I always think in charge is not a good description. <laughs> He's now the National Training Manager at St John Ambulance and what Peter will speak to us today about are some of the implementation issues that St John Ambulance have, have been experiencing and um, so there's the link with, with uh, e-learning which we'll do after lunch and also with our issues so uh, that by the time we come to morning tea we'll all be very, uh, have a lot of good ideas. Thank you Peter. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. Um, basically, um, yeah, I had 20 odd years in TAFE working at Canberra Institute of Technology, so I brought that, I bring that experience to the table today. But for the last 18 months, I've been working with St John Ambulance, and one of the jobs that I've had this year is to implement TAA. Nice small task, wouldn't take too long. It's grown into be an absolute monster, as all of you will no doubt know. What I basically want to do today is talk a bit about. I'll give you a little bit of back, background about St John and what the issues I'm dealing with in terms of trainers and talk a bit about um, what we've done this year and talk a bit about what we've learnt, both in terms of the TAA package and also in terms of using the toolbox as part of that implementation strategy. A bit of background on St John. Uh, My challenge is I have 2,000 odd trainers spread all around Australia and how do I maintain, get their skills up? It's interesting Tim's comments about casual teachers and what you require. We have a basic rule in St John, you must hold the three assessment units and what was formerly trained small groups, but we're using TAA Del301A as the sort of equivalent of trained small groups. So they're an absolute requirement. You cannot work in St John unless you've got that. You cannot be a volunteer trainer in our operations branch, in our volunteer side, unless you've got those four units. However, we also say that anybody who works as a paid staff member within the organisation must hold the certificate four in uh, BSZ or, or the certificate four in TAA. It's a rule that we've just just agreed on to nationally. But vast majority, most of our te- trainers, paid trainers, do in fact have the qualification now. Although, as part of the process of implementing this, I've discovered this thing called the Cert Four Cat Two, still hanging around. That people think that they've got a BSZ qualification, but in fact they've never actually done that work to finish it off. So we've got a slight issue of how, how we transfer, sort those people out as well. And I see a few nods in the head, so people know about these sorts of things. Um, basically, St John, we deliver over 300,000 certificates or statements of attainments in a year. So my challenge, clearly we've got a huge quality assurance process that we need to put in place in terms of that. Um, in TAFE terms, we're probably talking about a four million student contact hours. That's sort of, I hadn't, when I took the job, I hadn't quite appreciated how large the organisation was. Um, but it's nice to work in a system where we're talking, you know, in TAFE, talking 100 students in a class was large, certainly in CIT context. Here I'm doing, talking about 200,000 students in one program, one course, short course. So it's quite different, sort of changes your perspective on things. We were, we're dealing generally with a very small number of full-time trainers. Um, I rec- estimate it's probably about 5% of our workforce. So 95% of our workforce is casual train- trainers. So of course when you come along and talk about TAA and talk about what's involved in it, the immediate question comes up, do we need to know all of this stuff? Even And 
but AQTF requires you've got to have the Cert 4 in TAA. So if someone wants to be a paid trainer in St John, they have to have the Cert 4 in TAA. So clearly that's the drivers for us. Um, so basically what I've tried to put together is a picture that basically we've got a big need in terms of... In, essentially for us, t TAA is about internal training needs, although I've got ACT are offering it commercially as well now, but that's not the prime purpose of implementing TAA within St John. Um, basically what I did this year was set up one of my goals is if you look at the map of Australia I've got trainers all over the place and all of the delivery or vast majority of the delivery is done in the individual states and territories so the, the challenge, big challenge I had this year was how do I get the eight coordinators of TAA effectively in each state and territory together to work together to do it so this is where Tim and I passed across this year because we both had Reframing the Future uh, funding for different projects and I had a Reframing the Future funding for to basically enable the face-to-face -face meetings. Um, it's very hard in the St John to go and um, put a case to our board to say, well, what we're going to do is bring all our states and territories together for the purposes of quality assurance attached with the program. So that's where I've used the Reframing the Future money to achieve that. And I must admit, it has absolutely blown my mind in terms of the enormous value. I teach and have worked in the area of teaching about community of practice, knowledge sharing, that sort of thing. But this year I've had one of the most fantastic examples of the product that we started with in around uh, about June to what we've got now is radically different as a result of the interaction between the eight or, eight or nine people that have been involved. Um, it's gone up to 16 people but they haven't been consistent the way through. Um, we had a couple, basically in the slide there you'll see the sorts of things that we've done, you know, normal th sorts of things that you've used. Um, and overall it's been a fantastic um, experience and certainly put us in a position where we can uh, um, implement the program in a lot more thorough fashion than we would have been possible otherwise. As a result we've agreed to meet again next quarterly again by teleconference next year and then come, we have a policy in St John 12 months after a program is implemented we come back and do a national validation process so we'll come back in uh, November next year and do a check on what was provided to the states for resources and what they're actually doing in terms of assessment and what they've learned in the process. This is the website. Those, if you know, uh, we use Moodle as our learning management system and basically I've set up a site within, within Moodle to basically, um, for those who don't know Moodle, it's just equivalent of Janison, um, but it's an open source uh, so solution. And basically that, um, that's the sort of structure of um, the website. I think overall the website has proved incredibly valuable in terms of moving, the, moving forward. The other thing that we've worked with all year is the TAA toolbox. How many people here have actually run the tool, toolbox? Just get an indication. Okay. And obviously you're going to see more on this afternoon in today's workshop. For those who haven't come across toolboxes, basically they're a simulated work environment. So basically people um, immerse themselves. In this case there's an RTO called Optical, Optimal Learning Solutions. OLS and you take on the role of working in that and then you can access some of the experienced trainers and so there are sections of the toolbox which talks about advice from the trainers on assessment and training and all that sort of thing and then there are a whole lot of exercises. So right throughout today I'll share some of the things that we've learned about the toolbox. My overall comment was, uh, overall comment about the toolbox is I think it's a fantastic set of resources. It is a some, it, it has saved us an enormous amount of time in putting together the resources for TAA. I've picked out things from all over the place. 
However, don't think uh, the one message is people, and some people get the impression with toolboxes is you you buy the put toolbox for four hundred dollars or whatever in total, and then what you can do is then just copy it and give it to your students, and then you've you've taught the program. I want to dispel that myth right from the start. If you think that, forget it. Don't even bother going near it. It is a set of learning resources as a starting point, and it's a and a lot, a lot, uh, the team that put this together had $300,000 or whatever invested to basically put the resources together. And so treat it as a bank of resources that you can go in, pull apart and use as you see fit. And I'll talk a bit about how we've done that as we go through. Um, it's also very, very weak in the assessment area. And we'll say, it is, it, just think of it as a set of learning resources. Right throughout the way it's put together is a series of projects and you work on a series of projects. And if you think that project is all you need to do to sign off competency, then again, don't go into it. The, the trainer's guide is a little bit weak in that area and sort of get, it does say, oh, we, this doesn't cover the assessment. But actually, there's a nice little, for each competency, there's a table that says, here are the performance criteria and here are the, this, this project covers these performance criteria. Don't believe it. It's not true. Because if you start looking at the evidence requirements in the competency standards, a really good example is most of them say you've got to demonstrate over three, three different competencies. You have to demonstrate a delivery pro program or an assessment for three different competencies, and it, and the toolbox is covering one competency in the project. So that is a very simple example. Just points out that it just doesn't cover what's there. Having said all that, it's a fantastic place to start. And if you're developing resources for TAA, this is a great place to pull down resources and use it. And obviously, it's designed for the um, for use in the in a um, online environment, but really can be used in a classroom environment quite happily, and uh, resources go away. The other thing that we've really struggled with, some of the trainers have struggled with, is it, it immerses people in a problem-based learning environment. And what we're finding, a lot of our trainers are finding that quite a challenge. And it's really that issue about scaffolding and how you support a learner when they first start off is just as true when you're training trainers as it is with any other learner and a lot of them find it quite difficult conceptually to be able to put themselves in the place of working in the business and then providing that service. So what we're doing now is in, in the final, we're, we're revising it at the moment and I'll have another version out in, February, in January and what I'll try and do is provide a little bit more scaffolding for the students, support for students as they work through that first process of trying to understand how to work within the toolbox environment. So there's some of the limitations but nevertheless um, that's, it's a great resource. Great, it's really worth having, spending time getting a hold of it and using it and getting familiar with it. Um, I was asked to talk a bit about where we're actually up to at the moment. Um, we've basically put resources together. We've had about 20 to 30 trainers have completed the RPL process. Um, I ran workshops starting in about June all around Australia on the RPL process. Um, certainly found that's been quite difficult. Um, trainers have got through the three environment units fairly easily but when they come to find the evidence for the other units have really struggled. A lot of our trainers do a lot of delivery, group-based delivery, so those units, delivery, those competency units are fine, <coughs> but when we start talking about uh, the design units, the design for the training packages, a lot of them are, are delivering specific package, uh, you know, things that we put together, so they're not struggling with those. So we certainly found some uh, gaps in the whole thing. Um, and certainly I would have expected to have a lot more trainers through uh, the RPL process by now, but the barriers are quite high. Um, we certainly, ACT are fully implemented and all their trainers will be will have the cert for in TAA by February. 
and you will not be able to work in the ACT office unless you and the ACT St John unless you hold the Cert 4 in TAA. They simply put the whole thing in there. They've got about 40 students. Um, the training manager's just about stretched the limit, but uh, it's it's she's getting there. Um, and basically, we're in various other states in terms of implementing it. One of the things that's happened this year as a result of the Reframing the Future project, we've also, uh, New South Wales office um, contracted an external supplier um, to deliver TAA to a group. Um, virtually not totally online, but very strong emphasis online, and quite uh, frankly it's been a complete disaster. So they've shifted from saying we don't want to deliver TAA to saying, well, look, we really need to think about delivering TAA within the organisation. And I've got other states like Queensland, which originally were a bit lukewarm about it, but are now receiving so many inquiries because it's on our scope and it has been on our scope for about six months, um, saying well, we want to be, you know, you're about the only you're one of the very few providers in Queensland that can deliver it. So there's sort of me. We've got a trainer in the, working in the ACT office this week to get fully up, up to speed on what the ACT office has done to, to implement it fully in Queensland. I think the last comment there, basically people are being fairly cautious is probably a, a, a realistic summary of what's happening. People are realising TAA is not BSED repackaged. It is a substantially different qualification and a substantially different requirements in terms of actual delivery. I just want to talk a bit about how we've packaged or put the things together. In your handouts you'll find a printed on yellow is the um, structure, first page of that is the structure that we're using. Um, I need to explain a little bit about that structure because if, if you look at that and say, but that's not the way we would deliver it and I'm, not I'm basically sharing our story about how we did it and how we got, a bit, got to it and obviously you'll need to apply to your own situation. <coughs> Logically, for, first up, most systems that other providers I'm talking to, to would normally start with environment units as a starting point. In our environment, the reason we structured that way, remember I said earlier that as a requirement you cannot train in St John unless you hold the three assessment units and the transfer groups or what is now called instructional skills, TAA del 301A. So what we have is a requirement, module one and two, what we call module one and two, must be completed by all trainers. So we deliver that essentially in a classroom mode and it's available to any volunteer or um, paid staff member, or sorry, that paid staff members now have to have it before they start, but basically anybody who wants to move into training, and basically you're not allowed to be involved in teaching and, uh, any form of training or assessment until you've done those four units. So they're sort of the sort of basic starting blocks. So that's why they're up there, those um, three units. Other providers are certainly looking at combining the three, the three the assessment units that are required for AQTF along with assessment talks. And clearly that's a, a logical grouping. For us though, because in fact um, my big, one of my challenges is how do we get consistent assessment across the organisation with 2,000 trainers. And so for me, assessment validation and assessment is critical. And a lot of our trainers don't get involved in writing assessment tools. They're using assessment tools which are laid down. So for us it's a logical split. We've got the requirements from AQTF up front in Module 2 and assessment tools doesn't come in until Module 6. Module 3 then slots in the inventor environment. Having said that, a lot of the background, you cannot teach Module 2 with the assessment competencies unless they understand the competency unit, how where competency units come from, how they fit into the national system. So they're in fact getting a fair bit of background on the VET system in Module 2 before they even get, and to some extent in Module 1, before they get anywhere near Module 3. Um, module 4 then slots in with the design in, um, designing and learning. 
and we've grouped those two together. Um, and I'll talk. I'll have some comments about the training packages in that area um, as well. It's quite weak in some parts of that. The group-based learning um, then slots in, and obviously a lot of our trainers. That's a key module in terms of our trainers because that's a lot of what they do is group-based learning, assessment tools, and then finally the individual and work-based learning um, module. We're reasonably happy. We've tested that over the year, and for us, it's working as a reasonably reasonable structure and a reasonable grouping of competencies. Um, it's, pro- it's probably not a model that will necessarily work exactly in your environment, but it gives you some idea of what we've done. What I want to do now is just I'll basically go through each of those seven modules and talk a bit about what we've learned, the struggles we've had, and where the toolbox fits into all of that. Um, instructional skills, TAA DEL301A. How many people are looking at delivering that? Just to get some idea that particular competency. Okay. How many people? How many people are planning to deliver TAA Dell 301A? There's a few people. Okay, I'll just I'll spend it. I think when I first started working at it, I just made the assumption: oh, we'll train small groups. That's equivalent of TAA Dell 301A. Wrong assumption. Okay, a lot of the resources I can move across and use, but in actual fact, what the different the big thing about Dell 301A, and that came out in our very first workshop when we put all our trainers together is it's really working on the assumption that you've got a session plan and then you're teaching, you're delivering to that session plan. Now, when we used to teach train small groups, you'd teach people how to go about designing a lesson plan and they'd implement that lesson plan. This this unit is quite different. And one of our debates in our organisation is how much should that be about first aid skills versus others? And we've made sure right through our program that we've actually made sure they've had to train on a mixture of things, not just uh, first aid. So typically they'll get session plans which aren't uh, first aid topics. But getting a base bank of those assess- session plans is also a bit of a challenge at the moment, putting that together. The um, assessment, basically, we've um, required people to do three presentations. And again, if you look at the um, evidence guide for that standard, you're required to do that with a gap between the presentations, which immediately presents a challenge. If you want to try and run this as a week- one weekend workshop, how do you put those sort of gaps in there? So we've tended to move now. Our preferred delivery model for this module is two one-day work, two one-day, separated generally by about a month. So where uh, where we've got volunteer trainers, we're basically saying we want it'd be two weekends to do module one and two. So first weekend you do one, the first day of module one and the first day of module two, and then come back in about a month's time and do the second day. We have to, I have to say, though, our greatest success at the moment has been in the ACT, where we've, in fact, spread it over eight weeks. So it's been a, a, effectively a one-night or a half-day workshop over eight weeks. really gives the students enough time to assimilate all the ideas. Um, but we're not in, in a position of getting enormous pressure from trainers in country areas who would normally typically have to travel into the capital city to do the training. In that environment, we're um, looking at the two-weekend model. So this is a, uh, as remembering that module one and two are the foundations. You have to do that before you do anything in the St. John. And so for us, this is a really major challenge. We've tried different models. We've tried doing this as I, about a month ago, I ran a workshop uh, for module one in Adelaide, uh, the first day of it. And then I said, right, well, to do the other two, and they did the first presentation as part of that first day. And the other two presentations, they have to go off and video and all that sort of thing. I must admit that given the reaction I've got, I've now made another offer to go back for another day to, to run the second day of the workshop in Adelaide. 
people just finding that challenge of having to video their sessions and all that sort of thing a bit of a bit much. So, but there's a couple of the the, um, the country. There's one person from the country from Berry Barmera at that workshop, and she says, no, no, I'm going to do it this way because I don't want to have to spend another weekend in Adelaide and and have the cost involved and, and all that sort of thing. So, just pragmatic reasons. Um, we're trying we're trying to be as flexible as we can within it. But we've 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 tried. Um, we've, one state was looking at taking module one and two and doing it as a three-day program, which is what they do at the moment. And after all the discussions we've had this year, we've come up and say four days is what we reckon is an absolute minimum to cover these two two modules. So those fir- those first four competencies is an absolute minimum requirement, with a fair bit of work in between time. The advantage of the model of doing one weekend and another weekend with a month apart, they've still got a fair bit to do a fair bit of work on their own in, in that month period as well. Sorry, on the second day, what, do they do the assessment? Yeah, uh, so, presentation? so basically the way the structure of it, day one they do their first presentation, yeah. at the end of the day they do their first presentation, and then day two they would come in, with a month separation they would come in and do their, first up they do the presentation too, and they would get feedback on that, and then we'd discuss some issues. We deal with a lot of those issues about equity and how you deal with issues that come up in a teaching environment. And at the end of the day, you do the um, day three, uh, the third presentation. So, so. said 15, but we're basically finding that about 12 is about the, the number that really works well. Yeah, 15 is really stretching it. I've done it and it's hard work, <laughs> so I can tell you. Um, I, I, uh, one of the first times I ran this, I ran it as two weekends when we were testing it out in Canberra and I was so tired at the end of the second day. It was, I was just exhausted. Yeah. So it, it, it does work, but it, it's, it's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, and the um, and we also set it up so there's other peer feedback as well. So you know, but yeah. Um, the five minutes is generally the first two, and the second one, the third one is ten minutes. When we talk about TAA, the um, module six or the the one where we've got group based learning, if you look at this, the competency standards there, they actually specify that one of the presentations must be a minimum of an hour. But that its specification is not in the TAA Door 301A. So it's a five to ten minute topic, and that and that's purely about pragmatics, about what you can fit into the time. Yep. Okay. So that's the first module. The second module, which is the three assessment units, um, again that that fits in with that when I was talking before about module one. So it's two days, um, and certainly our experience. I. Again, the first time I ran this module, I ran it as one weekend workshop, and it took forever to get the assessment items completed. People just, you know, hadn't got the message at all. So, don't ever, you know, if you're thinking about there's need of casual trainers and sticking through a one weekend workshop on, on um, the assessment units, not a good idea. Um, it's based on our experience anyway. Extremely difficult. I've, in the end, there's eight assessment items involved here, as well, the way we've come up with it. And I've looked and looked because I reckon eight's a heck of a lot um, for a one module, 
Um, but basically I, I can't come up with any s smaller number than that. Um, and these, the sorts of things that we can't come in there, uh, included in there. Um, just so, out of the toolbox, there's actually some really good resources for BSB Common 306A. It's just a, an, a, 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 a communication um, competency. But on it, you, if you go in the toolbox, you can actually pull off a assessment plan and a um, evidence against that assessment plan. So one of the, some of the exercises are actually going in and doing a validation on that assessment plan and doing a, a, looking at the evidence and then comparing the evidence and saying, does this evidence meet the requirement of the competency standard? Which is one of the greatest experiences I've had this year is in terms of... I'm, I'm really heavily pushing assessment validation within St John at the moment. And one of the first workshops we ran, and we had about eight or ten people in the group, and they'd gone away with this portfolio and then came back and there were half of the group were absolutely vehement that this person was competent and the other half were vehement that the person was not yet competent. The educational value, the learning process that went on as they had, had to justify why they made that decision was just brilliant. You know, you, you just couldn't buy, buy that through any other process. One of my reflections, we've tried to do assessment validations through a dis distance learning mode. So we've actually, this module, we've actually tried to, I've just had a student finishing it off at the moment. And it's, they, they really miss out on that engagement and interaction. So when you, my recommendation, when you're dealing with assessment validation, you know, um, and I don't know what New South Wales TAFE system is for validation, but typically we work on a process of training, bringing trainers together to talk about why they make the decisions they make and then compare it. And that, that, that's why we set up the assessment. That assessment validation unit is really about running an assessment validation meeting and getting together. I just have had so many wonderful experiences this year of people starting, light starting to get on about assessment and people starting to talk about why they do things. Because typically in my experience in TAFE, people go off and do their own thing and never ever talk about their assessment practices in the way that I've seen this year. And I think that's one of the great benefits I'm seeing already of implementing TAA is that people are really thinking about their assessment practices and thinking about and comparing it and thinking about what they're doing in ways they've never done before. So there's sort of some of the things that we've had in there. Um, so I think trying to do this, particularly most of this assessment you could do by distance, but I think the assessment validation one I'm really saying now has got to be done through some sort of face-to-face -face encounter. I'll try probably in February, I'll probably, with the South Australian group I've just had, I'll probably try a telephone and try and do a link up that way to see if I can make that work as a way of of um, trying to bring that group together to make it work. Otherwise, they'll just finish it off by uh, um, self-directed learning. Um, you don't get that interactivity that you get in a face-to-face -face meeting. Um, I've tr I have tried it, and I just ha um, haven't had the success. That, not compared to, for me, the experience is qualitatively different. Uh, the, it is just so different in terms of the level of discussion you get. What happens is if, if you get a portfolio of evidence given to someone, say, go away and make a decision whether this person is competent or not, they'll go through and most of them I've had this year, I've actually sent them back to the person and said, this, you, haven't, you, know, you haven't picked up a whole lot of things you, I would have expected to pick up. And then, so you ha you, you're relying on that form of learning process. When you put people into a room and they have to argue and justify their position, the learning experience is so fundamentally different to the other process. And I don't think a discussion board would you get that, that intensity of debate. People are very passionate when it comes to... Um, I find in St John people are very passionate about first aid and how they determine whether someone's competent or not. 
and they have lots of raging arguments over um, whether the hand's in the right position. That's the level of detail people get into. You know, there's sort of, you've all experienced trainers who, if the, every box on that checklist is not ticked off and everything else, and, and then other people are saying, well, you know, if one or two of the things are not ticked off, then they're still competent. That sort of argument is a really good process to have. The three environment units, um, basically I've developed the resources so it's completely self-directed. You can do it self-directed. The way the ACT is implemented is a half-day workshop, give them an overview of what's involved in those environment units. Um, oh, the process seems to work fine. Um, again, we've made fairly um, good use of the toolbox resources, but also directing people into NTIS and those sorts of things. Um, we actually had a discussion a recent workshop about whether in fact you could do this totally through classroom mode and there is enormous value in getting people to go away and negotiate, you know, work their way through NTIS and all those sorts of... Everyone hates NTIS, including me, but it is the, it is the information resource in our sector on how you find out about providers and competencies and all those sorts of things. So you've got to know about it and you've got to work with it. So um, the way we put the assessment together is a structured portfolio. Basically, they put their, all their evidence together and they submit that at the end. Um, overall, um, seems those three units, what we've found is most, most of the trainers we've had go through the program have usually done a, an occupational health and safety course at some stage in the last five years. They've you know, been through some program. Typically, what I'm having to do in RPL is just simply say, well, where, have you actually applied that in an education environment? So in the portfolio, we get them to go off and do a, an, a risk analysis on a classroom environment and those sorts of things. There's, and there are checklists on the toolbox which cover all those sorts of things. So it all seems to work reasonably well. I'm reasonably happy with that one. Yep. Um, where, where the workshop, the ACT trainer um, in their workshop that they ran on it, I, I think took quite a, quite a risk, but she actually created a situation. She'd primed it, one of the student, uh, students up beforehand to really do the dramatic sort of, you know, um, castigating comments all the way through and waited for the group to react to that. So that, that, that's why she's done it. What, if you do it by distance, there were quite good resources on the toolbox. I don't like the assessment process, but the, there's quite good resources which looks at issues of inclusivity and diversity on that. Can I answer the question or not? Yeah, okay. Do you actually encompass it also in the facilitation ones as well? Yes. It's, again, what you do in Module 3 is cover it enough to be able to sign off the competency, but it's something you continue to build on all the way through. And it's one of those... Um, principles, if you like, of training in St John um, that we try and build up right throughout the whole process is how you deal with different learners with different needs within the group. Yeah. Uh, sorry, okay. Well, I'll repeat the questions when I ask again. So the question was about inclusivity and how inclusivity gets dealt with within that program. Um, I, it's, an interesting, it's a really interesting question because you can do a sort of broad sweep over it and people say, oh yes, we know what the principles are and everything else. But how do you make sure that a trainer actually deals with that, implements that as part of their practice? And I think that's a real challenge. And I don't think I've got the solution to say, this program solves all of those problems. What we are, obviously in the end, what my managers deal with is then as a performance management issue is where an issue arises. We cover the basic principles, what's involved, what's expected, 
and then you deal with those performance management issues where an issue arises. Yeah, it's, it's a, um, a research type um, question um, about um, inclusivity within the environment. There's a, there's a, sorry, there's that, that for inclusivity there's, um, there's that type of research type questions and how would you create an inclusive environment in your classroom and then the diversity one is through a series of scenarios. So what would you do in this situation? That's the sort of major form of evidence. Yep. Um, I, and that brings us back to a question that... Sorry, I'll just... Yep. Uh, that brings us back to the question, if you sign, if you have the assessment up front for a fostering inclusive environment, um, what happens if, in, say, delivery, the person shows that they, they really can't apply that? Yeah, that's... Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's something we can yep. discuss much further. Yep. <laughs> And ho hopefully in Module 1 we've actually covered some of those basic sign-off things, basic practices, how you deal with different students. And I always thought TAFE environments were very diverse. St John environments are, I reckon, even more diverse in terms of what trainers have to deal with in the classroom environment. Um, so it does, it, it's an issue right from the start with St John. I'm just realising we're running out of time, so I might, might just move quickly and then people can, over a morning tea, we can explore these issues a bit more. Desi okay, all right. Designing learning. Um, I, I, one of the, I, I, logically, when I put these two design units together, I thought it made sense logically to put the two together. I don't actually see how you can do the unit on training packages. So if you read the, the, the training package unit, um, in my mind, is really about how you break that whole process of how you break a training package down, a competency. Uh, to do it in the context of designing a program to me makes much more sense than just doing it in isolation. One of the things I don't like about the toolbox is the assessment activity that's on there, or the project that's on there for the um, DEL 401A, the um, training package unit, is about going in and examining a, a training package and writing a report. Well, my question is, why do you write the report? You know, it's not something you would ever do. Those of you who have been involved in implementing training packages, no, you don't sit down and write a report. You come up with a learning program so, I've, so logically we've combined the two, these two together and for us it's work, working really, really well. My biggest problem is people have got RPL because according to the um, conversion arrangements they get the second, the Dell 402A are based on the old Cert 4 um, and so we're having to modify it slightly for people who have got a gap where they get the first one but don't have enough evidence for 401A that we're basically then doing a, um, a modified exercise. But I think for a lot of those, I reckon they can get some real value out of doing that design process as well. Um, but basically, we've um, so the integration has been quite important. Um, we found we can do it in two and a half days, but um, we're still we're still working with that because there's a lot of work. Um, I was interested in Tim's comment from Maria in Western Australia about the 18 days. Most. Most providers that I'm looking at are generally talking about 14 days. Start of the year, people were talking about 10 days as the standard delivery model. Most seem to be now moved up to about 14 as the standard delivery model. Um, we're still, we're not quite sure we've got this right in terms of that's whether that's enough time. And really, the time is a lot of it does require the students to work by themselves, but they need a fair bit of direction in terms of being able to design a learning program. You know, you've all had experience where you're given a training package and you're trying to work out how you design your program from it, and that's the skill we're talking about, and then put it together in terms of learning program. 
it all looks a bit double dutch when you first encounter it. So I think we're not, we haven't finally set it on, on that. We know that one half day does not work. Um, we're trying with two half days separated, but the, what most of our trainers are needing is some initial exposure to the ideas of designing learning programs, go off and do some work, and then bring them back to some, um, some further reflection work. Again, if you have a look at the toolbox, Ruth Barnes and Rev Shop are two of the, the uh, scenarios that they work with. Great resource to go in and, and um, contact, put in a trainer in that context. Great if you're trying to expose... One of the things we are trying to do with TAA is expose people to outside of the first aid environment because we're really saying this qualification is about preparing people to work anywhere in, this, in the vet industry, not just as a St John provider. So for us it works really well. And so, you know, have a look at it if, from your own point of view because there might be things that you can use there to make it, sort of put them into a workplace context of having to design a learning program for a real client um, outside of the discipline area that the people are teaching in. What we normally do is people go and do it in their own discipline area. There may be value in exposing them to other areas. So great, some great resources in there. Um, Group-based learning. Um, we put the two units together, but really they run two, two separate units. Again, because in our environment, um, in the normal t vet environment, t uh, TAFE environment, um, DEL 401A, which is plan um, a group-based learning situation, that's what all um, tr trainers are typically t uh, trainers are doing in, vet, in TAFE. You typically give them the competency and they go away and they design the session plans and they, and they deliver it. In our environment, we tend to give people a lot of session plans, so for us it's a little bit different. Um, and we, t we tend to um, deliver to those plans. So for us, Dell 401A, deli Delivery 401A, um, we've tended to use resources from the toolbox to create the delivery plan, two session plans and four learning resources um, for Infinity Marketing is another one of those scenarios on the toolbox and that's worked reasonably well. There's a, if you look at TAA DEL 402A, it specifies you have to have evidence for four training sessions and be evaluated on four training sessions. And um, we've, um, St John has a fairly rigorous process of becoming inducted in that, in the, uh, as a St John trainer. It's just not, not a matter of getting the four units and then starting delivery. You've actually got to go through a fairly complex uh, induction process and that forms a lot of the evidence for that delivery at four sessions. Um, but the, again, one of the discussions in the, we've had a little bit of an argument because it says in the toolbox, it says in the training package, you have to have four sessions across, I think, three different AQF levels. Um, and uh, I can't, there's a couple of other rules in there. Um, and you basically got to, for us, that was a real challenge to think about how we do a lot, a lot of the things we do to make sure we're covering a range of uh, uh, levels. Um, and not surprisingly, the toolbox is quite weak in the area of actual delivery because, again, in the end, it's about actually doing it. Um, there's some, some useful things to help create the reflective practitioner, but um, and I use the toolbox in that way to say, well, here's some resources that you should access and think about, but really we're trying to create you know, people to, to reflect on what they're doing with when they actually run their training sessions. Assessment tools. Um, two half-day workshops. Um, and a fair bit of self-study and work in between time. Um, the assessment for us specifies the three sets of assessment tools as, as per the competency standard. For the standard, it says you must have three different sets of assessment tools at three different AQF levels. 
So in our case, we're using communicating the workplace, workplace safety, and the third one is up to them to choose, but it has to be a level higher than AQF level two. So we actually get them to research NTIS and come up with an appropriate competency and then design an assessment system um, around that, a set of assessment tools around that. So um, in our, again, it's, I wouldn't think that would be the way you would do it if I was working in TAFE, but that's the way, way it works in our particular environment. And Module 7, Individual and Work-Based Learning. Um, we put this together simply often in a logical argument. A lot of work-based learning is actually individual learning. So for us, again, it sits together fairly well. Um, we've, the first, we don't do a lot of academic writing in this whole course, um, quite appropriately, but the first piece of writing they have to do here is an, um, a paper on the differences between individual learning and group-based learning to try and get them to think about. They've been through all this other experience of group-based learning and now they have to reflect on individual learning and how it compares to group-based learning. And we're just at the point now we've implemented Module 7 um, in the ACT and the feedback again, some of the um, assignments are coming back from that are just brilliant. People are really, you know how we try and build a reflective practitioner and think about what they're doing and that sort of thing? Some of the writing they're doing now is really showing that that process is working really well to that point. But, and so a couple of people were saying, oh, we should have done this earlier. But of course, they, they wouldn't have had the experience to in order to do that if they hadn't been through that. So um, again, we've used a toolbox um, fairly well for this um, in, create, in terms of um, the ORCID fashion design. Um, and again, works reasonably well in terms of putting it all together. Just a couple of summary comments then, and then I'll finish up. Um, and these might be putting the bleeding obvious down, but uh, maybe not. But it's some of the broader lessons that we've learnt from the whole thing. You've all read the competency standards, the 14 and 15 pages for each competency standards, wade your way through, etc. You read it once. Once we've had we've had so many debates and arguments through the uh, the group on interpretations of what's in there. All fantastic processes, but what it means is, if you think TAA is, is this big to implement, by the end of the, you run, run through that process several times, you end up with a huge amount of work involved in implementing it. Um, so it's certainly very challenging, and the bottom line though is, and it's summarised at the end, we are seeing qualitatively, qualitatively significant increases in skills in our trainers as a result of implementing TAA and it's because of the depth of what is required in that TAA. So certainly my ACT manager is extremely ecstatic and is at our national meeting recently was berating everybody else to be, they should be all be implementing TAA right now to improve the quality of teaching and, and assessment overall. TAA toolbox is very useful, um, but as I said before, don't give it to a learner and say, here's the toolbox, go and learn and come back when you're finished. Um, it doesn't work like that. You've got to put a fair bit of work in to, to work out how to do it. Just treat it as a set of resources. There's a mixture of online resources, what we would typically call online resources, and there's heaps of PDF and Word documents and everything else in there. Go in and pull it out and find things that are useful and uh, make use of them. Um, and that whole thing about working together, and I think that's one of the advantages I'm seeing of networks and collaboration is we've substantially changed the quality of the product we've ended up with for implementing TAA as a result of the um, uh, process. And I've said several times, implementing TAA is not a small job. Okay. That's all I wanted to pass on. Thank you.